Hello folks and welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Podcast. Each week I'm joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer, living healthier and of course improving your triathlon performance. For all of you like Rugby Union, you're going to love this episode as I'm talking with former Wales and British and Irish Lions legend Shane Williams. We're going to be chatting about how Shane transitioned from full-time rugby player to Ironman triathlete and throughout you'll be able to easily detect his passion for both sports. If you haven't done Ironman Wales yet, I think you might be interested once you've heard the enthusiasm he has for the race in Tenby. Anyway, let's crack on and hear from the man himself. Welcome to the show, Shane Williams. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. Good to be here. Yeah, now you've uh, you've had a busy few weeks, haven't you? You're uh, fresh off TV appearances and um, expert analysis, I guess, on the Lions Tour, which finished on Saturday. So uh, how's the voice? <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad. I don't know if expert analysis is right, because I had the Lions winning that series. But um, no, look, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's always fun to be involved with the Lions. I much preferred to have been out there in South Africa with, with the fans and the crowds. But um Obviously, these these times uh, meant that that couldn't happen. But it was it was fun watching the lads do the business, and uh, unfortunately, just a little bit short at the end. But uh, some great rugby being played all tour, and some great performances by the Welsh lads as well. So I'm pretty happy. Yes, you were on the last South African tour, and it's, it must have been a bit of deja vu when Morn Stain came on and kicked the penalty that eventually won the the, yeah. the game for them, because he did that to you guys, didn't he? Yeah, I, I, had, I had the shivers and the sweats when I saw Marnie Stain come on the field with about 15 minutes to go. Um, yeah, he broke our hearts in the second test in South Africa 2009. And he, that, you know, the whole reason he was there is not for his defence, it's not for his attacking play, it's to kick three-pointers. And as soon as he got on, the South Africans put the pressure on and the penalties came. And I thought, oh, no, not again, please. But, uh, you know, fair play to Razi Rasmus. You know, he's he stirred up the pot. He's... Uh, uh, he's really had people talking, especially after that first test and his comments. And again, he does the business and Mr. Monistain is the hero again. So yeah, deja vu, gutted. But, you know, the the lads will move on, I hope. And, you know, there'll be another opportunity in four years uh, on the next Lions Tour. Who knows, Monistain might be there in 12 years. Who knows? <laughs> well, maybe we'll see you making a reappearance then, Shane, if he can do it. <laughs> No, I don't think so. There's more, stay, uh, there's more chance of Monty Stain coming back than me, let me tell you. If they just wheel him on like uh, one of those goal kickers in NFL, they could probably bring him on in a wheelchair and just position him in front of the ball and have him kick and then off he goes again for the uh, <laughs> for the special team to come on. Yeah, he probably would do the business as well, unfortunately. But uh, hey, oh, you've got to move on. You can't dwell on the past. What did you think about the whole, uh, and we could talk about the Olympics as well, because both of these two events have been going on in in the face of COVID, you know, in, in Japan and in South Africa, it's still far worse than it is here. Um, what did you think about the Lions tour without spectators, you know, in, the, in that huge stadium, um, without any fans and without the atmosphere that, that you get? Yeah, it's... It's tough. It is tough. I think that's one of the disappointing things to come out of the Lions Tour is the fact that there was no supporters in the crowds. Um, there was no family or friends for the players as well, for both teams, of course. Um, and you didn't get that kind of uh, interaction with the travelling supporters. That was one of the fav- my favourite things about Lions Tour is 
you know, on a on the Wednesday club, going down for a coffee or a beer or the restaurant and going going into restaurants and bars and and you had people from Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales just singing all all anthems and and songs and folk tunes and and they just didn't have that. You know, they were basically stuck in the hotel and if they wanted to go out, they had to organise trips in threes or fours and make sure that they were isolated from anyone else that could go to these places. So that didn't happen very often. All mm. All interaction was done in house with the with the players and the team that you've already spent, you know, months with. So it, it was tough, and and a lot of young players went on the tour, probably thinking, "Ah, oh, be great," you know. Everyone's always talking about what these lion tours mean to the players, mm. you know, the supporters, uh, the home crowd, and they didn't have any of that. So that must have been really, really tough. I haven't experienced it, so I can't I can't really comment too much on it. One of my favorite things about playing rugby or doing events or doing an Ironman or doing a triathlon is the support and the crowd that's, mm. you know, a, a jeering you on when you're 70 minutes into the game, you're three points down, you're blowing out your backside, you don't know where you're going to get the next bit of energy from and the crowd can really pull you through it. And, um, you know, and they didn't have that. So that's one of the disappointing things to come out of it. But, you know, that, that's what COVID has done to us. It's done it to the whole world. And in fairness, you know, we've, We've still managed to get a Lions tour. We've still managed to get the Euros. We've still managed to just finish Tokyo Olympics, which I absolutely loved. It was fantastic watching that as well. Really got into that. I watched sports that I've never even heard of, um, <laughs> you know, at, 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 at 12.30 at night, you know. So um, it, it's been great. But of course, we all want to be in the crowd. We all want to be there supporting our family and cheering them on and giving them a tap on the backside to get them going again. Um and we just didn't have that. So, yeah, that's that's disappointing. But look, let's, I'm fingers crossed now we're coming through the, the end of of this horrible thing called COVID and, and we will have all that pretty soon. I guess for people who watch TV and watch sport on TV and maybe they go to the games, but they would say, well, you guys are professionals, so you, you, should, you should be able to deal with this. But not having spectators in the stadiums, must have an effect on the performance of the athlete, surely. You, I, I, because at the, at the heart of it, you're still human beings, and everybody get like you've just said. Everybody gets g'd up when you've got the opposition fans having a go at you. But when you, particularly on Lions tours, I mean, it's not almost, it's not like an away tour, is it? Because there's thirty, I think, was it thirty or forty thousand in New Zealand yeah. on the last tour? So it's it's almost half and half in the stadium. It is the the stadium, especially. You know. Um... People talk about home advantage. You, you you can't wait to play at home, you know, and, and it, because you know that the majority of that support is your support. You know, it's not because of the state what the stadium looks like or anything like that. It's because you know you've got the backing of your supporters. On a Lions tour, yes, you get you get tens of thousands of supporters in the stadium. You know, you watch you you look back and watch games on Lions tours. The majority of the crowd are wearing red jerseys, mm. and when you're away from home against the hardest teams to play against in world rugby against the best players in the world you need that red jersey just to you know start screaming at you when it's tough start screaming at you when the anthems are going and start screaming at you when you know you're scoring tries and you've got your backup when you haven't got that it can be a really lonely place um these big stadiums big stadiums in south africa as well so you know that when they're empty they're really empty you know you can hear the the medical staff talking on the end you can hear the ball boys having a chat together uh, and I've been there, you know, I, I was at Parker Scarlett's during the autumn uh, international rugby matches and it was just absolutely dire. You know, it, it there was no atmosphere whatsoever. 
you could hear the guys talking to each other on the field. You could hear what was happening in the stands. You know, the the cleaners having a chat to the to the <laughs> guy who was, who was working next to him, and and it, it was just the most bizarre feeling ever. And I'm not playing. I'm on the sideline watching this game. So you can imagine, you know, scoring a try, first try for your country. Lewis Rees-Amis scores his first try for Wales. He gets up, has a celebration with the lads. There's no noise whatsoever. He knows his mum and dad aren't allowed in the stadium. He knows his friends and family and the Welsh support aren't there. Um, and, you know, I just can't imagine what that feels like. And it was exactly the same on the Lions tour. You know, it was exactly the same. The Olympics, people winning, breaking world records, people, mm. you know, winning 100 metres, um, you know, uh, and crossing that line and just nothing. And you're thinking, oh my God, I just don't know how I deal with this. So it, it is tough. And, and people say, yeah, well, you know, you're professional, you should be used to it. Why should you be used to it? If you're a professional rugby player or you're a professional sprinter, you know, or you're a kid that's running down the park winning sports day for school, you need that celebration at the end. You need that kind of, um, you know, gear to, to, to get, you know, to get yourself up there and think, well, I need to do this again. That was amazing, you know? So it's been tough. It's been really hard for these athletes. And um, I, I honestly don't know how I'd have dealt with it. Well, well, I mean, let's face it. When you are 12 and you're winning the school sports day, you've probably got at least 50 sets of parents there cheering, haven't you? So there's more of a crowd yeah. there. So you you probably haven't experienced um, ever in your life uh, playing in front of a completely empty uh, arena oh. or stadium or, or even a school sports park. No, and it's been bizarre. And a lot of, you know, we've had a lot of sports days and mums and dads haven't been able to go either. So, you know, it's 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 been tough. It's been tough on the kids as well. You know, I you know, God, I, I even remember my sports days as a 10, 11 year old and, and you know, the, the disappointments or the euphoria of winning and just having your you know, your classmates around you and your mum and dad watching on the sidelines. It's It's the same feeling then as it is scoring a try for your country. Or, or winning the hundred meters um, in a in an Olympics because you know it's still euphoria. It's still the best thing ever that you're going to do in your in your sporting career. So yeah, we we've all missed that, haven't we? It's it's great that the sport is still carried on. Um, I've watched more sport on telly than I've you know I, I could ever dream of, uh, which is great. And I've like I said earlier, I've even watched sports that I don't understand and and, and that I never even knew existed. So um, <laughs> there's that side of it, but. I'd much rather be in the crowd watching it. Well, let's let's talk about school then. I mean, you know, most people that are listening will know you for your rugby exploits. Um, I'm sure some of them will have read that you're into triathlon now, which is one of the reasons why we're chatting. What what were you when you were at school? Were you uh, a team sports player, or were you uh, were you into endurance sports? Did you swim and run? Um, I definitely wasn't into endurance. Um, I was I was absolutely tiny in school. Um, you know, short legs, short. I was a short young kind of. I was probably designed to sprint. Um, so I did. I did. You know, sprinting in school. I, I played a little bit of rugby, a little bit of football. I was in and out of the first and second teams. Well, I didn't really have a talent at a young age. I don't think. Um, but one thing I did really enjoy uh, was gymnastics. Um, I remember kind of drifting in and out of sports teams, and then. My teacher, Mr. Bynum, came up to me and saying, look, you're, you're short, you're powerful, you'd be really good at flick flacks and front somersaults and all this. And I was thinking, OK. So I went one lunchtime to, to watch the other kids doing it. I thought, oh, that looks, that looks fun. You know, you're just jumping around on a trampoline or a trampette. Um, and uh, I just got into it straight away. You know, I was always the kid that the teacher used to go, right, Shane, um, 
we're going to try the front somersault today. Show them how to do it. And I'd be like, oh, sir, I've never done it before. And like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but you'll have a go. Come on. I'll put a crash mat there. Let's see what you can do. And I loved it. You know, it was that um, I was quite a, yeah, a, a small, powerful kind of unit. And front somersaults just came natural to me. It was easy. You know, there was other kids that were taking weeks and months to do front somersaults. And I was like, well, come on, just do it like this. And they were like, yes, but it's, it's not as easy as that. It's it's mm. really hard, you know. So I just got got into it. I'd done that for six years in school. Loved it. Definitely helped my my rugby, you know, my uh, power to weight ratio um, uh, and uh, and kind of ability to kind of change direction very quickly, upper body strength, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of, you know, just I, I just blossomed. I'd done really well, represented the school, the county, um, you know, Welsh di- uh, districts, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of forgot about team sports then. I didn't do any rugby really at the at latter end of my, my school. Uh, played a bit of football and then just kind of took that out out to school and and just got back into rugby again so nothing nothing long distance I wasn't a long distance runner at all I used to do a bit of cross country in school but you know very very average um, and yeah that you know that kind of developed me then into into becoming a professional rugby player I think mm. now I know that Wikipedia isn't always true but when I was reading some of your stuff in prep for this it said that you were a scrum half when you first played for Wales was it was it under Steve Hansen, and then you weren't getting a look in, so you ended up on the wing, and well, we're all glad about that. Yeah, um, yeah, I was a you know when I played amateur rugby, I was a scrum half. Um, when Neath Rugby Club came came knocking, they they saw me playing as a scrum half. They could see I was fast. They could see, you know, I was quite fit, and I was getting around the park. And they signed me, and you know, I wasn't a scrum half as you know, um, I couldn't pass both ways. I was quite greedy for a scrum half. Didn't pass that often, to be perfectly honest with you. And and Lynn Jones was always kind of on to me. Look, we need to get you on the wing. We need to get you on the wing. Um, you know, you, you score tries on the scrum half, but if you get a bit of freedom, I think it'll be better for you. And I slowly kind of transitioned. And then, by you know, within a short period of time, almost 12 months of playing amateur rugby, I was in the Welsh squad. So I didn't really have much time to develop my skills and become a winger. But I was kind of... Um, kind of fluttering in, in and out of playing scrum half and playing on the wing. But I much preferred wing. I had more freedom. Uh, I didn't have to pass the ball as often. And I scored a lot more tries there. So the transition was very, very quick. And, you know, yeah, Steve Hansen took me on the World Cup 2003 as a third-choice scrum half. Um, you know, I didn't care. I just I just wanted to be on that tour as a, as a, as a rugby player. And it took me three games, really, to, to feature. And I featured against the All Blacks and... And really, the rest was history. But uh, yeah, I was a very, very gutsy, greedy, selfish scrum half. So they moved me onto the wing pretty sharply. So when, um, you, you played against the All Blacks. Uh, who would have been on the wing then? That was after Lomu, wasn't it? So um... Yeah, we, we had a number of good wingers playing at the time. We had uh, the likes of Dougie Howlett, Roko Coco, Rico Gear. Um, right. Yeah, the, the, the All Blacks have got this uncanny knack of... Uh, of of breeding good uh, good wingers, to be fair, and I played against all of them. In fairness, they absolutely incredible. And if you want to be tested at international level, you know that you, you see how you fare against the All Blacks. And uh, I went okay. I did all right. But you, you, I mean, what you're giving away? Twenty kilos, thirty kilos to some of those guys, aren't you? Really? Oh, God. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, 
some of those lads, Rico, uh, not so Rico Gale, probably Roca Coco, sorry, was a big, big lad, 20 kilos plus, giving away. I played against, you know, the players that like Tuolagi, who who were 100 kilos easy all day long. I was 70 kilos. Um, so how do you, you know, defend? So, how do you defend against that, Shane? Because you know you're going to have to come <laughs> up against them. So what taxi? I mean, I know. Um, um, I can't remember the name of it. Was it James Smalls who defended against um, Lomu in the in the when South Africa won the World Cup, and they they effectively yeah. kept him quiet. So there's got to be a way to keep those guys quiet. Have you got to get in close to them before they get moving? Uh, yeah, without <laughs> doubt, you can't you can't give you know. I think England will 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 vouch for this. You can't give Lomu room uh, room <laughs> on the ball. Um, it's all about closing him down very quickly, and that's what James Small did in 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 the World Cup. Uh, you know, he just didn't allow Lomo to have a run-up. As soon as he was getting the ball, they were all latching on him. Van der Vestes in there. One was on one leg, the other was on the other. And they did whatever they took to kind of bring him down. Gutsy defence and, and and a tactic that um, no other team in world rugby could could do against Lomo. My, you know, that was pretty much my mindset, especially when I played against the bigger lads, was to get to them early on, make sure they didn't have a run-up and almost blindside them so that they didn't see me coming. You mm-hmm. gamble in a sense. You gamble in the sense you come out that line quicker than anyone else to make sure that they don't have that runner because, without doubt, you know if, if Lomo had that space on me, you know they, they, they'd have they'd have only been one winner. I can assure you. So, um, no, it, you know that was something I had to develop into my game because when I went on the wing for the first time for Wales, it wasn't it wasn't you know I wasn't intelligent enough as a winger or I didn't know enough about playing the wing to kind of close these down. So I I learned the hard way really. You know I I, I gave uh, wingers run ups. I give them the outside. I give them a 10-meter run against me to see what I could do. And and it wasn't always effective. So it was a, it was a learning curve, let me tell you. So I can tell by the way you talk about rugby that you've still got so much enthusiasm for the sport. So how tough was it for you when you retired? Because, I mean, every every sportsman knows that eventually they're going to have to, to hang up their boots. So what, what was it like when you finally um, said goodbye and then the next season there was no changing room there's no banter with the guys there's none yeah. of that there's none of that crowd yeah it's um it's devastating i think um anyone who saw my last game for wales you know um you know the emotion that came through there i could do nothing about that because yeah I, I was happy to have my family and and the kids on the field i was happy to have the lads around me in a full stadium all clapping and cheering but in the back of my head that's always going through my head was you're not doing this again Shane. that's it you know, you're you're not gonna experience this now. If you scoring a try in the last minute and having the crowd standing up and cheering you, you know, you, you that's gone. You know, for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life, you're never gonna have that. And and it hit me hard, you know. I yeah, I was never gonna be there in the change rooms again with the boys. I was never gonna be there in training when you know it was going hard, things were going hard for us and going tough. And I wasn't gonna be there, the euphoria of winning grand slams and competitions and world cups. Alliance tours, and it all came crashing down in that one kind of moment in at the Millennium Stadium. And, and I just remember going home. And, well, it was the next morning actually, because all the bads, uh, all the lads from the the team followed me home that night, and we had a few beers. <laughs> um, but the, but the morning after, it really sunk in when I was sat in, sat on the on the breakfast table in in the house, thinking, "Oh my God, that's it." You know, it, it almost the morning just felt so quiet. You know, uh, uh, there was no lads around me. There was no one taking the mick out of me. There was no, I was no t- not taking the mick out of anyone else. We weren't having the coaches shouting at us for a bad performance or we weren't having anyone ruffling our hair for a good performance. And I was like, well, this is it now. This is, 
this is my life and this is how it's going to be. And what do I do? I, I just, you know, literally did not know what to do. Um, business side of things, I'd started a business. Uh, I had a heating oil business I started with the family so that I knew that was all right and that was going to be okay. But in the sense of the sporting world, I was like, I've got nothing. You know, I, I don't want, I don't, I've retired for a reason because I, I was at that right age. I, I retired up my, um, on my own terms and it was the time for me to do it. And I was like, right, Shane, what do you do now? How can you get something back? How do you get, you know, that kind of camaraderie back? How do you get that, um, mm. the crack back as, as the Irish call it, you know, of, of the camaraderie, the boys in the change room or, or in a game. And, and, and I had to go away and, and think about it for a long, long time. And, you know, the, the, the only thing I could think of was to do, you know, eventually we're talking weeks, weeks, months after retiring. And I was like, look, you, you need to test yourself now. You need to keep fit. You know, you don't want to be one of these ex players that puts on weight and, and, <laughs> and is unhealthy. Um, I still, you know, I was still very active. I still wanted to push myself. I still wanted to better myself in lots of ways. And I went away and I was like, right, Shane, what would be very hard for you to do physically? <laughs> and and someone said, look, um, a charity, actually, um, a WWF charity messaged me and said, look, uh, Mr. Williams, we know you've retired. How about doing a challenge? How about running the London Marathon? And I thought, oh, my God. You know, I, have, I probably haven't run about five miles in one hit ever in my life. This is 26 miles. But the other side of me was going, well, that's the challenge, Shane. There you are. It's just been handed to you. Let's see if you can do it. And I accepted and I trained and trained and trained and um, had a couple of injuries. I went over on my ankle six weeks before the London Marathon. Oh, God. But the thing that was getting me through it was, look, you're doing this for charity, Shane. You're doing it for charity. There's going to be tens of hundreds of thousands of spectators at, in, in London to watch you do this. That's the closest you're going to get to Millennium Stadium again. Come on. There's lots of excuses to do it. Let's do it. And and I did. And, you know, like I said, I trained. Um, I, I was nowhere near ready to, to run the London Marathon, but I did it. There was times where I was in the darkest of places. And there was also times where I was floating above the clouds, you know, where where I, you know, I was running over the uh, of uh, London Bridge there, and I had my my wife there and and supporters there cheering me on, and mm. they were like, "You're halfway, Shane, come on!" I'm thinking, "Oh my God, I'm only halfway. This <laughs> this is killing me." But at the same time, thinking, "Wow, Shane, you've run further now already than you've ever run in your life. You can do this, you know." And I crawled over the line, you know, we as a lot of people do, but you know, it was the hardest thing I'd done at that time it was one of the best things I've ever encountered and uh, the support got me through and, and I crossed the line thinking, right, Shane, I think we can get into this. I think we can, you know, get something out of this now, now that rugby's gone. And, and I definitely did. So I was, again, after that, I was looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And Ironman kind of landed on my, on my lap. Um, and yeah, I never looked back really. Didn't, didn't you do a TV program? Where you tried a few different sports? Yeah, we did. Um, we did. I did a thing called um, Eternal Glory as well, which was um, which was done before, actually, before the marathon, where uh, we we tried all different kind of sports and events and everything as well, almost like the old superstars, you know, if you if you remember those. Mm, yeah, yeah, which was fun, which was fun, but you know, those again, those things were short and sharp. No, no real endurance in that. I think the the you know one of the hardest things was the bleep test, mm-hmm. but 
I was actually quite good at the bleep test when when I was younger because he was short and sharp, almost kind of mini sprints. That's the way I put it in my head. And I was against James Cracknell, who was this big, almost giraffe-like kind of athlete that found it really difficult on the turn. So I beat James Cracknell, who I knew was a endurance athlete yeah, and yeah. was very, very fit and extremely focused. But yeah, we had fun doing that. You know, I got to meet some of my heroes actually. You know, that I was a I was um a Premier League fan in the 90s. So Alan Shearer was my hero, Ryan Giggs and these guys, and Mr. Matt Leticia, who I did the programme with. So I shared, you know, I shared an apartment with him for, for two weeks, which was fantastic fun. But yeah, that that was just fun. That was, I enjoyed that. It was fun. I didn't find that um, really too difficult compared to the London Marathon, really, to be, to be perfectly honest with you. So uh, what year was the London Marathon then? And that was 2015 was my first London Marathon, yeah. Uh, okay, so at what point did the triathlon bug bite you? <laughs> Actually, not long after the marathon. Um, uh, yeah, I completed the marathon in uh, April 2015, and a friend of mine who's um, an endurance athlete, he, um, you know, he's always done kind of challenges, uh, um, and he owned a business in... Um, down in Pembrokeshire now, but called um, um, God Princess Gate Waters, and he was a, one of the sponsors, one of the charities at uh, at Ironman Wales, uh, and I didn't know this. And he congratulated me after doing the marathon, and I'd done a couple of charity events for him. And he said, "Look, Shane, I've got a place for you in this thing called the Ironman Ironman Wales. We get tens of thousands of supporters down there." Um, you know, it's tough. It's one of the hardest things you're ever going to do. But you've done the marathon now. You know you can run 26.2 miles. I know you'll have a challenge. Come on, have a go at it. Ah, and I was like, die. Come on, you put me in a really difficult position now. You, you put a charity onto it. You know I can't say no. So I kind of signed up for uh, Ironman Wales. It was probably July 2015. And, and obviously anyone who knows when Ironman Wales is, that's in September. Mm. So I, I accepted to do London um, to do the the Ironman, and then I kind of I did what any other person does when they've got a challenge and don't know what the event is. I looked it up on Google, um, <laughs> and I just I thought, oh my god, I've got to swim basically two and a half miles, uh, cycle one hundred and twelve miles, and then do the marathon at the end of all this. And I phoned my mate, die. I said, die, honestly, mate, I I don't. I really don't think I could do this. You know, I, I haven't been in a swimming pool since, well, since I was a kid, especially, I probably haven't swum a length since I was about 12 years of age. You know, I, I don't even, you know, I can't even fathom swimming that far. He said, look, shit, you've got, you got, you got eight, nine weeks, almost 10 weeks to go. You know, I, I, I do swimming lessons every week. Come down to Narbeth, come down to Tenby. We'll start learning to swim and we'll go from there. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You look, you've been on the bike before. You know, we'll smash a 112-mile bike out. You'll be fine. And I thought, oh, my God, this is just ridiculous. I, I remember going down. Uh, I, well, first of all, I went in the pool. I'd done a couple of lengths. I remember swimming, you know, start, stop. I'd done, done my first kind of 12 lengths, and I was shattered. You know, my my lats and my shoulders and my <laughs> arms and my neck and everything was just – I felt like I'd done a, a full-body, you know, weight session. I was like, oh, my God, this is horrendous. I can't, I can't swim two and a half miles. Um, and then I'd done a few sessions, got into it a little bit, went down to Tenby and said, look, Shane, open water swimming. It's different to the pool. 
you've got a site, you've got to know where you're going, otherwise you'll swim twice the distance. Oh, great. So we went in a group of people. I literally went down the ramp at, at the harbour in Tembe. Mm. I swam 200 yards out towards Saundersfoot to where everyone was swimming. They were all doing a mile swim. I got 200 yards out and this woman kind of grabs me in the back of the of, the, of my wetsuit, puts me on the side of the kayak. She goes, I think we better turn around and go back. And I said, thank God you were here because I just felt like I was going to sink to the bottom of the sea. Um, and we turned around and I swam all the way back with her. She kept on grabbing the back of me, putting me on the kayak, swim 10 yards, grabbing me, putting her on the back of the kayak. And I kind of stretched myself out of where I'd just come from. I looked at my watch and I'd done about 300 yards uh, and I'd swum about 150 of that because the rest was on a kayak. And she said, we've got a lot of work to do, I think. And I said, oh, my God. I, I said, when Di comes back, I'm going to have to tell him I can't do this. This is just horrendous. Um, and I, I, you know, I honestly thought, you know, I felt like crying. I thought, oh, God, I've let Di down. I'm not going to be able to do this, I am. There's no chance. I'm either going to drown or I'm not going to, you know, someone's going to pull me from the water. Mm. And I've also got two and a half thousand people to compete with who are going to want to swim over the top of me. I, I just can't do this. And I came out and I said, I can't do it. I, I'm sorry. I have never backed down of a challenge, but I, I, I physically can't do this. And he said, look, Shane, let's have lessons. We keep having lessons. We keep having lessons and we'll get there. And in fairness, they kind of stuck with me. They kept helping me on my lessons. I was going in the pool on my own. I was kind of going into Clethley Dock where it was salt water and there was a bit of waves and there was a bit of kind of turbulence. Um, and I, you know, I got to that place where I was comfortable in the water. But I still didn't think I could swim that far. I never swam two and a half miles before Ironman Wales. And I remember a week before I'd done my first mile swim and I was absolutely shattered. And I got to Ironman Day and I told my brother and I told my friends, look, guys, you know, don't expect me to see, to see me coming out that water ready for the for the bike because I can't swim that far. So is this, are you still talking 2015 now? And this is 2015, yeah, it was my right. first Ironman, yeah. Okay, so I think you and I did that race on the, on the, um, fairly certain that 2015 was the year I did Ironman Wales. Was it, was the war, was it really rough because the, the wind was coming in from the east? So it was like yes. two, two or three meter waves and uh, just, it was like being bounced around that, that sort of double loop that you do. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, if, if I wasn't comfortable enough, uh, uncomfortable enough anyway before the start of the race, I kind of looked at the choppy choppy seas. I looked at the people around me who were all concerned, to be fair. And I thought, oh, my God, this is everything is going against me for me to complete this swim. Yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't worried about the bike. I wasn't worried about the run because, you know, I'd, I'd kind of I'd cycle 100 miles. OK, it might have taken me all day. We may have had a couple of coffee stops. We may have had a couple of you know, chances to stop on the side of the road. Um but I thought, well, I've done it. So I know I can do it. So I don't worry about the bike. I'd done London Marathon. So I was like, right, I know I can do it. It's fine. But I hadn't swum more than the mile. Mm. And I thought, also in my head, I thought, oh, you know, it's how embarrassing if I can't even get to the bike part. And I've got friends and family waiting for me at the bike area, you know? So so um, I had so many concerns about that swim. And, and I have so many people come up to me now and say, Shane, Oh my God! You know, I'm I'm down to do the um, the Ironman this year, but my swimming is terrible. And I say, look, listen, you. If I can finish this swim, anyone can finish this swim. And I and I I completely mean that, you know. So yeah, the the the, the start of the day wasn't the best, but I don't know if you remember Ironman Wales. Right at the start, you have ACDC, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, thunderstruck, blast in there. You have the national anthem, 
And like, I was just, my chest was just out, out of my wet. So I was just like, right, Shane, the anthem, you've had the anthem now. This is like playing for Wales. You've got your face in the All Blacks. You kind of know you're going to get your head kicked in here. But <laughs> let's dig in for 80 minutes. And my 80 minutes was two laps. In in fairness, um, standing on the beach there with the with the ramps and all the spectators probably is being like at, at the Millennium Stadium. And yeah. getting into the washing machine is probably like getting tackled by Jonah Lomu, isn't it? <laughs> It's it's exactly like it. I couldn't have picked anything more perfect, really, to to kind of remind me of, you know, standing there in front of a full crowd, singing the national anthem, and then the whistle going for, you know, for an 80 minutes in which, you know, there's going to be times in that 80 minutes where you're going to go, oh, my God, I hope, I hope the coach subs me soon, or I'm loving this, you know, keep it on. I want to play for an extra 10 minutes at the end. And I swam that first la- uh, lap. I... Uh, I don't know if you agree with me, but the hardest thing about the swim is the first boy. Yeah, it's almost like being on a treadmill. You feel like you're getting nowhere. And mm-hmm. I just remember get, eventually getting to the boy, thinking, "Right, Shin, you've done, you've done this. You've done this. Come on, there's people behind you. You're faster than some people. There's people out there that are going to find this harder than you are. Come on, let's do it." And that that kept on going around my head. And it might be selfish, but I was thinking, "You're finding this hard, Shin, but there's people finding it harder." So. Keep going, and I done. The, I remember doing the first loop and getting to the run on the beach, and thinking, "You've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed this. You're gonna be fine," you know. And and getting into the water for the second time was the easiest part because I knew I'd already done the distance. So I just remember getting halfway around the second loop, could see the beach, could hear the announcer talking, and I could see people getting out the water, thinking, "Right, Shane, you're gonna be there any second now," and you look again, any second now. And it took like a lifetime to get there. And I remember seeing people getting out of the water, getting all really excited. And I kind of pulled my goggles off, ready to stand up to kind of run out the beach. And it was about seven foot tall, uh, seven foot deep. And I just went bloop, straight under the water. I thought, oh, my God, swallowed about a, a litre of seawater. And then just had to kind of do it again, recoup and then go again. But I remember coming out of the sand, um, out and touching the sand, thinking, oh, my God, I know, I know now. I've done the hardest bit. Mm. This this next 130 miles or whatever it is, you're going to smash it. You're going to absolutely smash it. Um, it wasn't quite the case. <laughs> it was the hardest thing ever. You know, get running up to the transition, getting on that bike and starting that ride. But I, I, I fell in love with it at that moment. Coming out to that water, I fell in love with Ironman. And I was like, right, Shane, next time you do one of these, you're going to be fit. You're going to be ready. And you're going to smash it. And you know, I was there every year after it. Absolutely loved it. So anyone who's listening who's done Ironman Wales knows that that, that crowd in Tenby, I've never experienced anything like it. It was like, I mean, once you get out onto those the roads out of the town, it's a little yeah. quiet, but there's still spectators there at the little villages and things. Um, on the bike, I was blown away by Narbeth. It's the place where you talked about. There's, yeah. a, there's a climb up through the village there, and it was like a sure. Tour de France climb. Um, going down to Bateman's Beach and then... Um, and then up the hill and back into Saunders foot was like going up out Duez. Um, and then when you're running around the town, it was like, it would have been like running along the touchline at the, at the arms park, wouldn't it? It's just people there. And of course they get noisier and noisier throughout the day because they're drinking more beer. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's my favorite thing ever. No, you know, um, in, uh, in my sport in life, because you know, we've all, all, always mentioned the rugby and everything and so on and so forth, but, 
as soon as I kind of obviously in the water, you're not going to experience that. You get you see it when you're when you're coming back in because everyone's up on the wall. They're all up on the run where you where you kind of it's a kilometer run to the transition as well. So you're going to run past all these people, but you you know you're bouncing. You're on tippy toes. You know the, the almost the run to the transition. You're like you're looking around thinking, oh my god, this is incredible. You know the the support you have here is amazing. And yeah, you you get on the bike, you 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 go to right to the you know to. Uh, to Angle and Pembroke and Freshwater, where where even you've got people that are it's in the middle of nowhere, but you've got people like jacked up on a on a on a tractor mm. on a settee supporting you from their farm in the middle of nowhere, Narbeth or or Princess Gate or whatever it is, and you're just like wow, this is just amazing. And then yeah, you come you come through uh, up Narbeth Hill. I don't know if you remember, was there a live band playing? Yeah, yeah, the was pub. There a live band yeah. playing at the pub. Yeah. And, and everyone's there cheering you on and you've got people kind of giving you an extra little push and you're just like, wow, this is amazing. I can't wait to kind of come through here again because you know you've got to do it twice. And then you come into uh, Saundersfoot after the, the hill at Wiseman's Bridge, which is Wiseman, about 16%. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Wiseman's, and, yeah. and which is a little bit quiet because it's a small lane, isn't it? People keep away from there, but you have a bit of time to reflect and then you come into Saundersfoot right uh, at, at Heartbreak Hill and it's just, you've got, I think you've got about half a metre, haven't you? Mm-hmm. You've got about half a metre going up that hill. You know it's the hardest part of the race, but you fly up there because you've got all these people cheering you on. You've got people in fancy dress. You've got people on the big, um, you know, hooters and all that. And you just go up there so fast. It's incredible. It is, I imagine, like, you know, the Tour de France, Alpe d'Huez. And, and you get to the top then and, and everyone says the same thing. Oh, I went too hard there on that hill. I've got to do this again. Well, of, of course, because once you've got past the crowd, the, actually the, the hill keeps going, doesn't it? Until you get to the roundabout yeah. at the top, the turning back into town. So that's when you sit down and think, uh-oh, legs, yeah. legs have gone well, there's there. There's a problem. There's a problem now because people have understood that in, so many people gather on the bottom of, of Heartbreak Hill now that um, they started to congregate on the top as well because they know that's the slowest point of the hill. Mm-hmm. And you'll be going at your slowest, so they can actually talk to you now when you get there. <laughs> so the problem is, you have to go hard from the bottom of the hill right to the top of uh, of of Saunderswood to where New Hedges is, of course. But it's amazing; it's it's incredible. And then eventually you get on to the run, and the run is all the way through town. It's all the way through New Hedges, and it's you know it's almost like London Marathon. You know, you you're, you're about five or six deep of supporters. And they are there all the way around to kind of push you for that 26.2 mile. The thing is, Shane, you're a national hero, aren't you, for your rugby exploits. So you must it must be like bumping into old mates every two or three metres for you. Because as soon as people see Shane Williams or the, the commentator shouts your name, the crowd goes barmy. They do. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I think, you know, it's... It's what I did as a player when I when I when I played rugby and the crowd were you know were cheering for Wales or cheering for me or the Ospreys whatever. That's when I had the buzz. You know that that would make me a foot taller uh, and and a better player for it. And it's exactly the same in Ironman. There's times in Ironman and you know yourself where you're just in the darkest of places. You're thinking I don't know, I can't do this. You know I'm hurting. I feel physically sick. My I can't feel my legs. I'm cramping up and I don't want to do this anymore. And then you'll have someone screaming your name. You know, I got, I'd, I'd like 80, 90 year old women running on <laughs> to the, onto the, onto the running track and kind of slapping me on the backside. And I was thinking, well, it's a little bit inappropriate, but I kind of enjoyed that. So I'll keep going. You had kids, 
kids with banners and you had kids with, you know, they were offering you sweets and stuff on the run. And, and I was just like, this is amazing. I even got, when I did my fastest time when I, in, you know, in 2018, where I felt really good on the run. I remember I had a really dark place on the third lap and I went around the corner and these kids were screaming, come on, Shane, come on, Shane. And they were offering me all these things. And I remember thinking, right, Shane, enjoy this last lap. And my last lap of, the, of my marathon was the quickest because of the support I had. And I remember finishing thinking, oh, my God, I feel fresh. How the hell do I feel fresh? You know, it, yeah, it was yeah. just amazing. I even had a sprint finish on the end in the red carpet. It was just, you know, I could have been at the Millennium Stadium. I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's one of the best times of my life. And, and it was all down to the crowd. I A few years ago, I met a guy called Daryl Haley. You've probably not heard of him. Daryl played, I think he played for the New England Patriots. But anyway, he won the Super Bowl. He's got the Super Bowl medal. So I'd be like winning the winning the Grand Slam or something. Yeah. And he's six foot six and he weighed 350 pounds. I mean, he's huge. And they he got a one of these um, ambassador spots to do Ironman Hawaii. Right. And he had about, I think they gave him the spot in January. So he'd got until the October. And I remember meeting him in Lanzarote where he'd gone to do the Ironman. And, and I, got, I got quite friendly with him. And uh, it was really interesting talking to him because he said when he, when he got the chance to swim, he said the only time I'd been in a swimming pool was when I was little and the, you know, my football had gone into the neighbor's swimming pool. So I had to go in and get it. <laughs> he said the only time I rode a bike was when I stole one. And he said, and when I used to run, I used to run onto the pitches, uh, you know, in the offense, and then I have to get go off and then get oxygen before the next play. He said, so that that was, you know, that was a limit of my endurance training. And I was fascinated by how he managed to prepare for an Ironman when you don't have those physical attributes yeah. that you need for endurance. And one thing he, he, he said, which I'm coming to now, is that he had a pro athlete's mindset about attack, you know, the process. And it, so did you, did you use a similar process for preparing for Ironman that you would do in preparing for a game of rugby? Yeah, without doubt. I think, um, yeah, as a professional sports person, you, you learn to become very mentally tough mm -hmm. um, because it doesn't always go your way. Um, for me personally, uh, I wasn't at the start, but I became a very resilient um, kind of sports person. Um, at the start of my career, God, I had people telling me I couldn't do this. I wasn't big enough. I wasn't physical mm -hmm. enough. You're never going to become a professional rugby player. I even had people telling me that in school. So when you finish in school, you know, oh, we can't put you in the first team, Shane, because you're too small. You're going to get hurt. I'm thinking, right, okay. And another reason I went into gymnastics, to be honest with you, when I finished school, um, I started playing amateur level and, and the coach would go, oh, Shane, we're playing a rough team today and they've got a couple of old heads. They're going to beat the crap out of you. We're not going to play you because you're too small. I was like, oh God, okay. I became a professional rugby player and I was having the same things. I was reading press. Oh, he's great. He's very fast. He scores tries, but he's too small. So, so quickly, I had to become very resilient. I had to prove people wrong and I had to be very tough mentally. Um, and, you know, I, I, got, I got into the Welsh team. I got dropped from the Welsh team. Um, I, had, I had people trying to tell me that I needed to retire from rugby or I was going to get hurt. So. And, and I proved people wrong. You know, I eventually won Grand Slams. I eventually, um, you know, I had 87 caps for Wales. I eventually scored 58 tries for Wales, two tries for the British and Irish Lions. I eventually won two Grand Slams, I've probably mentioned, but I probably, and I eventually became 2008 World Player of the Year and went on three Lions tours. Now, if I didn't have that resilience and I, if I wasn't that mentally tough, I'd have, 
I did retired in 2001 because a lot of people wanted me to retire in 2001. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed proving people wrong. I enjoyed proving that I could do things. I enjoyed uh, putting my body in uh, through through pain and 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 putting it through things that I never would have done if I wasn't a professional player. And you know, one of the reasons I knew that I would give Ironman the best go I could possibly give was because of all those reasons. So, you know, I think that goes to show how tough Ironman really can be because there were times during Ironman or before Ironman that I wanted to quit or I just didn't want to do it because I didn't know if I could physically do it. Mentally, I knew that I'd give it a go. Um, So, you know, when I was training for Ironman and I was going to the pool and I was doing 10 lengths, and I was in pain. I was in pain doing 10, 12 legs. Next time I went there, I was like, right, you do 14 legs today. And I was in the same pain. And, and I was in my head, I was thinking, well, you're in the same pain as you were when you'd done 10. So you'll be in the same pain when you do 60 eventually. And I was, you know, that's that's how I worked. That's how my mindset worked. And I, I kept telling myself, you could take pain, Shin. You've been hit by Bucky's both there. You've had two Ilagi throw you into the into the <laughs> um into the hoardings. You've dislocated your shoulder and had it put back in just to finish three minutes of a half of rugby. You can swim and you can be blowing and you can be scared. You're going to be fine. And and that's, you know, even when I was swimming, I was thinking, right, this is hurting. I'm scared. You know, uh, where's the canoe? I thought, no, leave the canoe. Have a look for the next canoe. Have a look for the next canoe. Oh, the sand is here. Actually, actually, Shane, you're out of the water. Let's do that again. And... You know, it's baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. And it got me through it. And, you know, on the bike, when I'd done the Ironman, my, the spoke snapped on my, uh, kind of broke on my bike. and went into my brakes. So my back brake wasn't working for uh, the, about 40 miles, uh, which, you know, you, you need in Tenby with all the hills. Mm. So I had to snap a couple of spokes off my wheel. And then for like 40 miles, I was, I was riding the bike thinking, well, surely, Shane, you need those spokes in your wheels. You know, the one, <laughs> at one point... Coming down some hill, that back break, that back wheel might go, but I thought, well, no, I'll be fine. I'll I'll get by. I'll make sure I'll do this because I got to finish this bike, um, and eventually finish the bike. And then I remember starting the marathon. I couldn't feel my legs. I was thinking, oh my god. I was like, Shane, if it hurts, you can walk. You know, you can walk, can't you? You know, you, there's nothing wrong with you. You can walk. And I would. I'd run a mile. I'd walk like a hundred yards. I'd run another mile and. Before you know it, I'm looking at my watch. I'm 14, 15 miles in. I'm thinking, right, Shane, well, you know, you can do this. You can physically do this. It's hurting. You, you know, I was cramping from every every part of my body was cramping up. Even I didn't know your little toe could cramp up, but even that was cramping up. And I was just like, look, Shane, you know you've got this now. Just go into that kind of quiet place and you'll be fine. So in an either-or world, would you rather take a big hit from Tui Lange or running the last five <laughs> miles of the Ironman Wales? Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> that's a tough one, as you can tell. Um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was pretty bouncy as a rugby player. I, you know, I, I certainly took enough bow, um, hits and bangs off, off some of the biggest players that have played the game, and, and I was able to get back back up on my feet most of the time. But that last five miles of an Ironman, in 2015 especially, on that run, was the longest kind of five miles of my life. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I take, I take a couple of hits of Tuilagi, I think. <laughs> then. But, uh, yeah, look, Ironman is hard. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to put people off it. But the whole thing about an Ironman is if you train and you prepare yourself for mm-hmm. it, you'll be fine. You know, if you're someone who's, 
who's cocksure of themselves and thinks, ah, it's only an iron man. I've seen my mates done it. You know, yeah, he's been training. Don't worry about it. I can do this. You know, you're going to, you're going to, you may come short or you're going to find that it's the hardest day of your life. So, um, yeah, don't underestimate an Ironman and, and certainly give it a lot of respect. You're not the only uh, former international to do Ironman. I, Gareth Thomas has done one. And I think, I, I think Richie Webster, who was a wing forward, um, yeah. didn't have, Richie had problems with his knees, didn't he? So he was using sticks. And when I, I think it was actually 2014 when I did it, Richie Webster passed me. I had a mare of a day from sort of halfway through lap two. And Richie Webster passed me just as we were coming into town to get onto the finishing line there. Um, yeah. So do you guys talk to each other about Ironman? Do you have a little WhatsApp group to sort of uh, compare training and, um, and and have a bit of banter about your finishing times? Yeah, we, we do, actually. Um, a lot of the lads are into their cycling, especially. Gar Thomas, um, yeah, did the, again, similar to myself, did the Ironman with, uh, with short notice, really. But Gar- Alfie's always been fit, and it was a pleasure to do it with him. I think it was 2019, wasn't it? It was my last one, actually, where Alfie did it. Um, but yeah, there's always that banter. There's always that fun. I've trained with Alfie. I've trained with people like Ryan Jones has also done it. Uh, Ian Goff, Hugh Bennett, uh, Garth, uh, Jonathan De- John Davis, actually the prop for, I uh, used to play for Wales, who oh, at one point was about 21, 22 stone, which is wow. incredible. Um, you know, you've got a, good, a lot of good athletes. Chris Stevens as well, played for, for Bajend and Wales. He's a he's close to sub-11, so he was a very, very good triathlete. And, and like you say, Richard Webster, Andy Moore, I remember watching Richard Webster. He was one of my inspirations, really. Um, you know, uh, people telling me, look, if you think you can't do it, watch Richie, Richie Webster. And I, I know what kind of player Richie was as well. He was tough, mm. resilient and hard. Mm. And I watched and I saw him on the crutches and I was thinking, this he'd done it several times on crutches. Yeah. And I, and I was looking at his times. He was like a, he was like a 12-hour Ironman. I was like, oh my God, this, this guy is crazy. Um, so yeah, you know, the, it, it, again, probably done, doing it for the same reasons I I did it. They missed that kind of pushing yourself to the limit. They missed that camaraderie. They missed the training. They missed all that. And whoever I speak to, that's what they say. You know, we we miss kind of the whole training with people. We miss the whole taking the mick out of each other. We miss going out for a, you know for a social. We miss doing this and that. And you know, and and I think that's what I'll always have embedded in me. I think that's why I I, I kind of hope I'll always be into triathlon and. And endurance events now because, you know, it, not only is it on on match day then on on event day, you know, you, you're you're competing against each other. You've got that banter and you want to beat this guy and you want to beat her. She wants to beat you. you you've also got the training aspect of it. Boys, fancy going out for a hundred miler today? There's a couple of coffee stops, you know, etc. Uh, etc. Et and uh, and that's the fun of it as well is the training side that people don't see on Ironman Day. So you've been on this journey then for three or four, well, five years now. Of course, the last couple of years have been put on pause. Uh, who's been guiding you through this? You mentioned your friend um, that got you started and got you the entry. Have you had a coach that's been helping you with this at all or have you just, has it just been a, a self-learning journey? Um, a bit of everything, really. Um, self-learning at the start, certainly for uh, for my first Ironman, uh, first two Ironman, actually. Um, trained myself. Um, I knew people that had done the Ironman, so you know, I was always looking for tips. And help some plans if I could, um, but I've worked. I've worked uh, with Mark Whittle, who's a, um, a triathlon coach. In my first couple of, I think 2018 and 2019, um, a good friend of mine, Di Cole, as well, who's a, a um, an Ironman athlete himself. I've been working with recently. 
he's local to me and we go out on cycles and he's been helping me with a plan, um, which has has, has certainly helped my training uh, at the moment. I feel really good. Um, Actually gutted that I am on Wales was postponed, but that's, that's life. Um, So yeah, Dai at the moment is helping me massively. He's also a very good uh, triathlete that's qualified for corner. So, uh, you know, I, I know that he, he, whatever he is sending me is doing himself. Mm. He's not one of these coaches that just gives you hard plans just to make you, you know, work hard and, and feel sick afterwards. You know, it is really, really good sessions. Um, and I need that, you know, that what you've got to realize is rugby and Ironman or rugby and a sprint triathlon or rugby and an Olympic triathlon is chalk and cheese. Mm. All the training I've done in my rugby life has been short and sharp. It's been, um, you know, trying to get fit for a sprint and recover quickly, chase the ball, come back, score a 60 meter uh, trial, uh, try and come back. But now I'm, I'm training to run a marathon after swimming uh, two and a half miles and run uh, and cycle 112 miles on a bike. So it's, it's chalk and cheese. I did a com- had a conversation last week with a guy who was uh, from a CrossFit background. And so obviously a lot of, lot of his training was short, sharp, explosive stuff like you've just described. And he said he felt that going from that to endurance training was a lot easier um, because the anaerobic training gives you a good base of strength and, and that, that sort of physical, physical stature, if you like, to cope with the endurance training. Whereas if you went from endurance training to the power stuff, it'd be much more difficult. Have you, have you experienced the same? Do you think that the, the, the training you've done for the last you know, 20 years of professional rugby player um, put you in good stead for just adding some endurance on top? Yeah. Uh. Possibly. It didn't feel like it at the time, I've got to be honest. Um, I felt like I was starting from scratch, you know. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, you look at CrossFit and rugby, a lot, you know, it's a lot of uh, power, uh, power and strength, um, uh, endurance. It's, you know, it's it's moving weight at a very quick, quick uh, pace, I suppose. I suppose small things, you know, when I got on the bike, I was very powerful. Hills, I enjoy hills. You know, I go on hill rides and people are like, oh, we're going on hill ride again today. And I'm like, well, I actually like it. I don't know if it's my body shape or the training I've done in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've done a lot of work on what bikes, even when I was playing. Did a bit. We did a lot of CrossFit when we were playing as well, that kind of training, hit sessions. Um, so when it comes to sprinting or, you know, that kind of surge on the bike when I needed it, going up Wiseman's Hill, um, you know, Narberth, um, or Saundersfoot, I, I rather enjoy that kind of side of it. So I, I'm assuming that's down to my CrossFit training and my mm. power-induced training when I was a rugby player. But that's about as far as it goes, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I, I just felt it's quite frustrating, actually, because I, as a rugby player, I, I trained to be a rugby player for a long, long time, and I, I became quite good at my training. I, I became quite good at what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, that's gone, and there's no need to be a good at training to be a rugby player anymore because I don't do it anymore. So when I went and I went on my first run with my mates, you know, I remember being like a mile into it and looking around and thinking, oh my God, I am struggling here. And everyone's having a chat. Everyone's enjoying this. Everyone's bouncing. Yeah. They're all on their toes. And and I I just feel like I've sprinted a hundred meters flat out. You know, <laughs> it was just really, really hard. And on that side of it, it took a long, long time to kind of keep up with my friends that have been doing it for a long time, you know, to go even to do like a four or five mile run was Jesus. I was like, it might as well have been a marathon. You know, I, I just felt so hard and, and my body wanted to go fast. 
you know, my, my body wasn't used to long strides, you know, and I like I'd run my first mile and my leg, my uh, my leg, my leg leg was just really short because I was just I was almost sprinting the first mile. So I had to learn how to change the way I run completely. What's your training volume like then now um, per, per week? Yeah, um, I suppose, you know, if, if Ironman was going to go ahead in September, I'd be up to about 11, 12 hours training. Uh, sometimes less, you know, with work commitments, but I, I would never treat, really want to get under eight hours, especially this time of year with Ironman looming. Mm. Uh, and also, you know, you've got that taper period as well coming. So this this would be the hard hard graft session really um you know I, I i think you can kind of bulk that up with a long ride you know you can fit a long ride in once a week whether it be four or five hours i suppose um you know or even a three hour whatever it is that's usually the the the, the training i needed just to get a long endurance kind of ride up there to get you ready for ironman but i do a lot of one hour sessions on swift i do a lot of what I, I really enjoy is swift sessions where it's short and sharp, interval sessions, FTP sessions, 110% FTP sessions for, for three sets and nine. Um, again, that's probably where my power power mm. training kind of comes in and helps. But I feel it benefits me. You know, I, I, I go on swift, especially with the weather we've been having recently. I can go on swift. I can work on the track on swift. I can do 400-meter sprints uh, or strides. Let's not call them sprints because they're not sprints. Um, and I can kind of get that training in rather than just getting getting on the run on the road and just running a, a six or seven mile at a at a zone two where is it really benefiting me at this time of year? Probably not. So I'm doing very specific training as well. Some of it isn't long, um, uh, but some of it is. And I and I find with 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 Di at the moment, I call. I think I'm he's getting the best out of me really. And good thing for me as well. If if I want to practice cycling hills because. Tembi has a lot of them. I can assure you, Ironman Wales has a lot of those. I live on the Black Mountain, so right. You know, if I was to, if I was to turn my phone now, I've got one of the, the the best cycle routes in in Wales on my doorstep, and it starts with a, a six mile hill right to the top <laughs> of the Black Mountain. So um, I've got no excuses yet. How's your body shape changed then since you started doing Ironman? I mean, I saw a little tweet from you once saying that my shoulders have gone. Where have my shoulders gone? So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I look. I was when I was playing rugby. I was um, I was about eighty kilos, eighty one kilos, and the coaches, you know, were fighting to keep weight on me. They were fighting to keep muscle on me, and you know, my training sessions involved a lot of weight, um, a lot of eating, and and a lot of kind of power training um, to to kind of keep that weight on and 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 be rather bulky, and and so that my power to weight ratio was very very high. Uh, so I could elude tackles, I could bump people off, and uh, my low centre of gravity running would get me past defenders. Um, almost, you know, as soon as I kind of got into the training of long distance, you know, I did did my marathon. I lost a little bit of weight. I was still about seventy nine kilos. And someone said, Shane, you're, you're the wrong, you know, for you. And I was like, How do I get better? And they were saying, Look, you're the sh- wrong body shape to to be running a marathon. You know, you've mm. got big shoulders. You've got yeah, you're big upper body side of it. You've got big quads. It doesn't really fit, you know. Have a look at Kip Danui or Kip Chogi Cho- Cho- going and, and, and see yeah. the shape of those guys. It, it doesn't really suit what you want. Um, so, you know, I, I started kind of obviously training more, the, putting more into hours into the training. Um, started doing different diets over the years. 
until I found, um, I started doing keto diet and uh, I lost a, a, a quite a bit of weight quite quickly. I got down to about 74 kilos, um, almost lost too much weight at one point. Um, and I just found, wow, being lighter just helps. You know, I'm bouncing a bit more when I'm running. I find it easy on the hills, on the run, uh, on the bike, sorry. And, you know, my body shape perhaps is is better for me to swim. I'm a bit more aerodynamic and I'm not fighting the water with my my lats and my and my mm-hmm. my traps. Um, and it just helped massively. And, you know, 2018, 2019, where I had my best Ironman times, I was about 75 kilos. It made the difference. I'm probably about 75, 74 kilos now um, and maybe 73 kilos if... I would have got to 72 kilos for Ironman Wales. You still following the keto diet? Uh, yes, I'm not religious. Um, you know, I, I do tr- tend to keep to it. I do. I'm able now to do 100 mile bike ride on a on a keto diet, um, which was very difficult at the start. Yeah. Um, went through went through my mood swings and and uh, <laughs> uh, and my, uh, my my tough times, but got through it. And, and I, yeah, I enjoy my keto diet. I, the, just the food suit me. I don't like going on a diet and I'm being told what to eat, even, you know, even if I don't like eating it, you know, it's, it just doesn't make sense to me. So the keto foods, uh, I quite like even the breads. I've got keto bread, which is the cheat of, of course <laughs> I'm able to do that. I enjoy my meats, I enjoy my eggs, I enjoy my cheese and I'm able to do that. And, uh, you know, I don't go around telling never look, you've got to go on the keto diet because I'm on it. You do what, what feels best for you. And, and like I say, I've, I've I, I'm at a I'm at a point now where my body fat is low. Um, you know, I feel like I I look okay. I haven't lost too much weight. Uh, it's helping me for my training, and um, you know, I'm in a good place because of it. So yeah, I guess during your thinking about the time you were representing Wales as a as a rugby player, um, you would have seen sports science taking a more prominent part in the preparation of players. I guess in the early days of being a professional rugby player, it was like probably even before professionals um it was training at the you know training on an evenings playing the weekend and yeah. then um it, the game became professional everybody was full time sports science came in what what of those things you learned about preparation in terms we've talked about nutrition but what what else have you learned um, that you continue with now like sleep or recovery methods yeah. or or other things meditation maybe things things that help you beyond just the training yeah i think cheesy as it sounds preparation is key um fail to prepare prepare to fail isn't it and i think it's 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 right it is right you know um i remember when i was playing like the the science and the nutrition and all that came probably a little bit too late for me really in my career um especially the science side of it you know of course i knew what i should be eating so on and so forth um and i probably take that side of it more serious now than i ever have um which you know, it's crazy, really, considering I'm not a professional athlete. So, um, yeah, when I was playing, I you know, I was basically being told, look, Shane, we need to put weight on you. I want six ready weights on you today, and uh, let's try and get to 81 kilos before Friday. And and I was like, right, what, what am I eating? Well, they're like, you know, you don't have to worry about your weight because, you know, you can eat anything. Adam Jones, on the other on the other hand, unfortunately, he's eating on another table. They were trying to take weight <laughs> off him. That was as far as the science went for, for myself, you know. So, I'm poor Adam Jones. Um, so, and, and I just, you know, the coaches were telling me something, I'd do it. Um, you know, the science was coming in right at the end of my career as well, where they, you know, they, they went off heart rate, um, blood samples, 
um, G- even GPS, you know, GPS came in very late in, in, mm. in my rugby career. So I didn't really benefit that, from that as a professional rugby player. But you see now that they, that players do. You know, a, a coach now can go to a fitness coach and go, George North, how far did you run today? Oh, you worked really hard today. Um, coach, he'd, he'd done 11 ke- um, uh, kilometers in training session. That's too much. Make sure he only, you know, he doesn't train too hard tomorrow and we pull him 20 minutes from the end. And that would have been great when you, you know, uh, for me when I was playing. But you know, and, and so you see, you know, players aren't getting fatigued. All right, okay. What's um, Justin Tipperick's blood levels like today? Yeah, you know, uh, they're all right, but I think he's just done a little bit too much in the in the last two weeks. Right, day off tomorrow, and make sure he's eating this, that, and the other, and uh, and it works. You know, these players now, when it comes to games, they are mentally and physically, mentally as well. You know, you, there's a lot of mental training, and they have a lot of kind of help in that side of it. Um, but players are more prepared for games. When they start the games, they start the games fresh. There's no excuses. They can't go, oh, oh I, f- I felt like, you know, I, I, I lost a bit of fitness in the end of that game. They can go, well, no, actually, Shane, we, you know, we had a heart rate monitor on you. Your heart rate was actually lower in the 60th minute than it was in the first 15 minutes. You worked harder. It's just you, you kind of took your foot mm-hmm. off the gas. You know, there's a chance we won't play you next week now because you didn't put a full effort in. You know these players are, are, are in, you know they don't always know what's happening, and there's the probably the fear, and I'm thinking, oh, if I don't work hard for eighty minutes, I know in someone like a Gatland or a, a, um, you know an Eddie Jones, they probably think, oh, he's actually seen that I've had a little bit of a rest here, he's going to pull me off. So yeah, you don't you don't get you know I didn't have that side of it, but it's massively benefited players, I think, uh, and they have concussion protocols now as well. You know they could tell when you've had an impact, and they could tell when you're not right. So these players are, are far more betterly managed. So it's yeah. So what? But what? Do, what do you do then? Of those things that you were have just talked about, and, and maybe we're starting to get exposed to. Um, do you do you do ice baths? Do you meditate? Do you do a lot more mobility now? I mean, you know, no disrespect, but you're you're getting older. You'd have yeah. no doubt. You mentioned dislocating your shoulder. You'd have no doubt suffered some big impact injuries, which those things tend to mount up and sort of come back to haunt you as you get older and your body naturally sort of starts to stiffen up. So, um, yeah. do you, you have to do a lot more mobility training to counteract those those um, those knocks and impacts you took when you were younger? Yes, I think that the, the yeah, without doubt, you know, things like even things like my shoulder, my my shoulders, they're a lot better now. But having had operations of both shoulders dislocating them, you know, they were stiff. And as a rugby player, I, you know, I didn't need to stretch my shoulders, stretch my hamstring ready for the game or something, or my calves and my quads. But, you know, what, what do I need to stretch my shoulders for? And a lot of, like, Dino uh, or Dicole will, will have a lot of, like, mobility sessions, um, even hit sessions in gyms where it's low, low weights, but it's, it's more of a stretching kind of session. Uh, foam rollers. I even jump in the pool sometimes to... Uh, you know, to stretch off and have a sw- swimming. Swimming is fantastic for stretching as well. So that's an excuse to jump in the pool for me. Um, you know, I'm quite good into Pilates and yoga yet, but that, that may be something that comes with uh, in the next couple of years. I, I know a lot of people that swear by it, you know, so, um, and these are things I wouldn't dream of doing as a rugby player, um, you know, stretching before and after um, events, stretching before and after long runs or long cycles is key for me. Um, and again, probably something I did very little of as a, as a professional rugby player. Nutrition. I, I found out in 2015 as well, you've got to get your nutrition right. You know, you've got to have enough food on these rides. You've got to have 
you've got to be eating the right things. You've got to know when to eat them. You know, you've got to know not to eat too much or, or not or not enough. Um, and I'm at that point now where if I'm going along right, I know exactly what I'm eating, when I'm eating it, uh, what drinks I've got, you know, electrolytes, uh, anything I need just to keep me going on these rides because I've learned the hard way. You know, I've cramped up massively <laughs> or I've, I've just struggled to finish rides because of it or bonked, as we all know, uh, happens. Well, I was so, just going to... Yeah. I was just going to say there, Sean. No, Shane. No, no amount of getting smacked on the ass by an eighty-year-old lady is going to get help you get over the hitting the wall, is it? No, it's it's horrendous, isn't it? And and look, I've never hit the wall like that in my life. And I've I've hit, I've hit like seventy minutes in a rugby match where you're you're aching, you know, you're bleeding, um, you know, you're up against it. You've got th- you've got ten minutes to go, and you're three points up, and you're just backs against the wall. But you know, hitting that wall on a bike or on a run where I don't know, you get all ailments just come at once. The sweats, you know, your, your, your headaches, uh, your legs don't work. Uh, you got cramps. Oh my god, it's just absolutely horrendous. I, I, you know, Ironman Wales 2015 is the first time I kind of encountered that. I, I cramped on the swim, I cramped on the bike, and when I was on the run at one point, I went round one wrong one corner. I cramped in both legs. In both calves, even my elbows, um, my <laughs> elbows, my triceps were hurting. I felt sick. I, I was sick all over the side of, of someone's uh, wall, unfortunately, of someone's house. And and I was just like, I, you know, I really didn't know what was happening to me. I thought, you know, it was it was the end of days. I thought that was the end of me. Um, and uh, people were just saying that's just because you haven't prepared, you haven't taken electrolytes, you haven't had, you haven't taken salt tablets, you haven't, you haven't eaten properly on the bike you know and uh, and then I get on the run and I'm just shoving everything down my gob absolutely starving and then I I've, I've just massively just almost <laughs> almost at the end of me I'm just remembering when um when you go on that big long road out of Tenby and up to the roundabout at the top and then you run back down and as you're running back down into the town then you have to cut through a little sticky don't you and up yeah. on that little side street and I remember going through the same thing there I just hit the wall. My legs went and I'm sat on a wall and, and there's this house over the road and this lady, little old lady comes out and she walks over the road and she puts her hand on my back and she said, are you all right, love? And I said, not really, no. I said, I feel awful. Would you like a cup of tea and a biscuit? I said, are you sure? So off she went. She, she poured me a cup of tea and brought me a little biscuit. And she said, yeah. you take as long as you like, dear. So I sat there and I said, have you got any sugar, please? She put some sugar in it. <laughs> I had a little sip. I ran I ran and walked up the road to the top and the turnaround and came back and she'd waited and she said, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And she gave me a little pat on the back <laughs> and I went, honestly. Uh, yeah. You know. That's, I, I, yeah, that, that probably that was, sums up yeah. Ironman Wales. It really yeah. does. Um, a friend of mine was actually sat in someone's living room um, halfway through the run because they were feeling so ill. Um, yeah. But that's the, that's the beauty of Ironman, I suppose, is that you do get that help. You do. You look. You, you're gonna. You're gonna be in some dark places. I. I know. I know athletes that have qualified for Kona, that are mm. uh, you know looking for you know looking for podium finishes on some of these events that have been in that position themselves. So it's not just you know uh, the beginners or the noobs. It's it's a tough. It's a tough tough race. But you know there are also people there that have you know worked hard to get there. Are, are amateurs that are going to take 15, 16 hours to do it. Mm. They've ampled their way all the way around the course and they finish with a smile on their face. And 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 it can be it can be the toughest of days, but it can be the best of days as well. But like I say, that's why 
preparation is key. If you get the preparation right for Ironman Wales and you know you can do the distances and you get the food right and you get everything right on the day, you will absolutely love it. All right, Shane. Well, I'm looking at the time. I'm so grateful and appreciative of the time you spent with us today, but I don't want to leave without asking you about that T-shirt you're wearing. The, the listeners uh, won't be able to see it, but it says Agilis. Now, I understand that that is the name of your new clothing company that you just launched. So yes. why, don't, why don't you spend a few minutes telling us about what, what's behind that and um, and what your goals are? Yeah, well, obviously, my uh, my life now consists around Ironman training, triathlon training, um, charity events, uh, marathons, et cetera, et cetera. My life has completely flipped around really in the sporting sense. Um, and I found that, you know, I, I've been jumping from clothing brand to clothing brand to, to try things. And I just, during lockdown, actually, I just said, look, wouldn't it be nice to be wearing your own kind of brand? You're, you're doing these events and everything. You know, you're doing these charity things. Let's Let's do your own thing. And I spent months and months going through branding, finding names and, Agilis means agile, uh, you know, powerful, um, uh, speed, pace, um, and all this. And I thought, well, that kind of kind of sums up what I was as a rugby player. But I'm not a rugby player anymore. I'm a triathlete. So let's kind of incorporate that into triathlon. And um, I worked with a local uh, clothing company that said, look, we'll come, we'll come on board. Um, let's get this Agilis out there, Agilis Sport, and and see how it goes. So we've We've got um, we've got cycling bibs, we've got cycling tops, we've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got the casual side of stuff as well, um, and we, you know we're going to develop into the, the into the triathlon world where hopefully, you know, in in a few months or years time, there's people going to be wearing our clothing, and and that's what I want to see. I want to see someone doing Ironman Wales with an Agilis speed suit, going, ah, I'm proud of this. This is a nice top. Shane Williams designed this and branded this, and. Uh, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do Shane Proud. <laughs> Not quite, but you know, it'd be it'd be nice just to see people wearing it actually, because I was actually fed up of wearing other people's clothes and and mm-hmm. having having a brand come up to me and say, Oh hi Shane, I'm this so and so. We'd love you to be wearing the kit for our company. And I said, like, okay, that's great, but I might as well do it myself. And mm-hmm. um, and that's where we've gone. And it's you know, it's it's been fun. And and I, I you know, from scratch to now and to the people I'm working with, I've done this purely uh, as a lockdown project and obviously now I'd love to see it grow and have everyone wearing it for all the events coming up in 2022. Brilliant and and no doubt you'll be at the finish line greeting all those Agilis skin suit wearers when they come across and having a yes, photo taken. Yes, definitely, definitely. Or maybe you can uh, <laughs> maybe you can be looking out for the um, who's retiring from the Welsh rugby squad and be signing them up to your Agilis uh, ex-rugby player triathlon team. Yes, there's. I got people on the on the short list. I, I got to see um, see how they cope in the training first. They they, they got to pass the short list. But uh, no, no, look, it's 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 all fun. It's all triathlon game. It, it is fun. Look, I'm not going to win these races, but uh, I enjoy taking part. So uh, that's what it's all about. I, I've just had a thought that the reason Alan Wynne Jones keeps going is because he knows you're on. He's on your list for triathlon next, and he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> well, if if there's someone that can complete an Ironman, surely. It's Mr. Alwyn Jones, isn't it? So yeah, I'm keeping a close eye on him. I I don't know if I got any uh, bibs or uh, or tops to fit him at the moment, but uh, we'll have to get a triple XL from somewhere. Uh, just before we go, Shane, um, books. I asked you if you could recommend a book um, or books that you'd been inspired by. 
Um, we've, we're building, I think I sent you the list of books that have been recommended by previous guests. So uh, yeah. you did say you'd got something that you'd yeah. like to add to that list. Yeah, well, I... I was speaking to a friend of mine, Alistair Brownlee. Oh God, it must—it was a, again probably during lockdown, and um, he wanted to get inside my brain to find out the the mindset of a rugby player, professional rugby player, to see if it was any different to um, any other sports person, I suppose. And of course, he's he's spoken to to other people as well. So, you know, Relentless is is a book I've I've just started reading. He just he's only just sent it to me. To be fair, um, he said, "Look, I hope you enjoy the the, the part where." Uh, I've mentioned you and, and all your mindsets. Um, and this is something that I think can help anyone really. Um, you know, it's not, it's not about, it's not all about winning. Obviously Alistair's very, very talented and very, very successful, but it's about the mindset. It's about pushing yourself. It's about, you know, um, how you can, can achieve your goals and achieving your goals. Isn't about winning every race no. and being in the podium. It's about completing a marathon. It's about doing your first uh, sprint try, et cetera, et cetera. And I think this book is amazing. He's he spent a lot of time, he's put a lot of research into this himself as well. This isn't ghost written. You know, as you as you know, he's he's worked very hard on this book. And I would highly recommend you have a read through this because, you know, I think we spent about four hours, you know, getting into my brain. Um I was mentally drained at the end of it. <laughs> but I hope I hope that um you know what I had to say and, and my mindset is, can help people along the way as well. So, yeah, have a read of this, guys. Very, very knowledgeable and talented young man, this guy is. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a big favourite within the triathlon world, as you know, and mm. uh, you've given us a flavour of that sort of um, mindset today, Shane. I, I appreciate that. I, I did did make me think then, just as you were talking about what success is, is when you're in a team sport or in, a, in what I call combat sports, where it's one team versus another or one person versus another it, it's very binary isn't it it's, it's win lose or occasionally there's a draw yeah when you're in triathlon and you're in Ironman Wales and there's 2,000 people taking part there's going to be two winners and you're not going to be one of those because that's the female yeah. category so winning ha- winning and success has to take a different um, different form doesn't it yeah I think yeah I'm not, I'm not going to be either of those uh, male or female to win it to be fair uh, look I'm I, I do triathlon for for a number of reasons. Um, one, because I enjoy it. Um, two, usually I do it for charity. And three, because I am still very competitive. But there's a difference between being competitive and competitive and knowing you're going to win. Now, I know I'm not going to win Ironman Wales, okay? But I'm very competitive against myself. So... I look at 2015, for example, when I did the Ironman 2016, then I was like, right, Shane, you are not going to feel like that again. You are going to beat your time. You're going to cross that finish line and you are going to love it. You're going to be giving everyone high fives and this is going to be one of the best things you've ever done. Um, so that's the competition I have had within myself. I had 12 months to train hard, to push my body, to make sure when I got to Ironman 2016, um, 2016 I was going to do better and I had no excuses. And I did that. Now, the, the competitive side of me then was like, right, you've done okay in 2016, you smashed your 2015 time, but wouldn't it be nice to get 12 hours? So I was like, right, yeah, you're right, actually. You know, that would be nice. 2017, I pushed myself, pushed myself, pushed myself. Unfortunately, I had an injury three days before I am on Wales and I had to pull out. Uh, but I, was in a, I knew within myself I was in a position to beat that time. So I, I felt good. I felt that I'd done all right. Now, 2018, I was like, right, I can smash 12 hours. You've got 12 months to train. 
you haven't got any distractions, you're fit, you're ready to go. I trained hard, I worked hard mentally. I was in a very, very good place. 2018, you know, um, I, I had a PB. I was 11, I was 18. I'd wow. smashed my previous time by like three hours. So that's the competitor in me, not the competitor, right, I'm going today, I'm going to win this because I know I'm not, I'm not a triathlete. I am a triathlete, but I'm not a professional triathlete. Mm-hmm. You know, I enjoy going up a hill and having someone in front of me and thinking, right, catch that person. Catch that person on the hill, catch the next person. That's the competitive side of me. So I'll always have that. Even now when I go for a, a run or a bike ride with my mates <laughs> or for a swim, my brother's there as well, which if you're not comp- a competitive against your brother, you're never going to be comp- yeah, a, a yeah. competitor, let me tell you. So it's little things like that, just pushing yourself, make it better in yourself. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm against the clock as well because I'm getting older. I'm getting, you know, into my forties. I'm getting to a point where that I'm not going to better myself much, or it's going to, it's slowly going to take that away from me. So, as long as I keep bettering myself, I, I, it makes me feel young as well. It makes me know that right, okay, you're still fit. You know, you got a few grey hairs, yes, okay. Your hairline's receded a little bit, yes, okay. But you just bettered your Ironman time, so you know. You're stronger than you were last year, and hopefully that keeps me alive. Brilliant! That's a lovely place to finish, Shane. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really, I really appreciate your time today, giving us a fantastic insight into um, the professional rugby playing world, the mindset of an elite athlete, and good reasons for taking part in Ironman triathlon. So, really appreciate you being here. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you to Shane for joining me on this week's High Performance Human Podcast. There are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the High Performance Human Podcast on iTunes and get new episodes as they become available. Oh, and while you're there, please don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Right, that's all for this week. I'll be back in seven days' time with another great guest, but for now... Please stay healthy and stay focused on being a high-performance human in every aspect of your life.